morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Inspiring You podcast. So happy to have you all here today and welcoming my guest, Robin Tobe, who is a chartered professional accountant, speaker and author of The Wisest Investment. Welcome, Robin. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, thanks for having me, Nancy. So amazing. I, you know, I'm just always so thrilled to have such incredible, talented women come and talk to us about their career journey and what they're doing. So maybe we can start there. Tell us about your career, where you're at, what you're doing, and kind of where you got to where you are today. So as you said in the intro, I am a chartered professional accountant by training, but I like to say that I'm not your typical accountant. Uh, accountants have stereotypes around them and, you know, as number crunchers and boring, whatever. Yeah. And I definitely don't think I'm that. Um, I did start my career traditionally at one of the big accounting firms, KPMG. Um, and then I worked in tax at Ernst & Young. But I realized very quickly that public accounting wasn't for me. And I transitioned from there to, um, I worked for one of the clients that of the firm and they were involved in real estate syndication. So I worked as, I was like their CFO and VP of finance nice. for a couple of years. And then I made a major change and I went to work um, at Citibank Canada mm. on the trading floor Wonderful. where I was, yeah, I was involved in the group that did uh, derivatives, marketing and sales of derivative instruments to financial institutions. Wow. And I was, yeah, that was a very, very different kind of work environment um, to be on a, on an open training floor. And it is just like, you've seen it in the movies. That's uh, very loud, very exciting, lots going on. I, I had my children um, during that time while I was working there and I was just struggling a bit with the work-life balance. Okay. Uh, this is before remote work, before flexibility. And, you know, I had to be downtown early and it was long days. And, and it was I ended up going out on my own and uh, focusing on financial literacy. And now, as you mentioned, I've written this book called The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life. And so I, you know, I speak on that topic and do workshops and other resources that are based on the, the book and my philosophy around, you know, why it's so important to teach your kids about money, how to do it and what to say. I love it. Well, that, that's an incredibly impressive background and career. So congratulations there. But I think, you know, your struggle with, you know, that work-life balance, becoming a mom, how do I make it all happen? Um, and I love that, you know, you've gone out on this entrepreneurial journey and, you know, really created this sort of niche for yourself um, mm -hmm. and the book. And I think, you know, this area is so important. Um, I know I have kids of my own and we talked about this a little bit, uh, but how important I think this topic is and you know kids are not getting the education perhaps the way that they should be right mm -hmm. and I think so your messaging is so powerful so maybe talk to us a little Thank bit you. more about that like what what brought you how to do this and how and how did this become mm -hmm. sort of the focus for you it really came out of the 2008 global financial crisis after that there was a lot of attention paid to financial literacy and in Canada, there was a, a, a national task force that looked into it. And they, they did a lot of research. They spoke to Canadians ac across the country. And they came up with this definition of financial literacy uh, means you have the knowledge, skills, and confidence to make responsible financial decisions throughout your life. 
So that really struck me. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a, a, I had so many different experiences, but always in the financial world. And you have a commerce degree and, and my CA and I worked in tax. So I always felt very like comfortable and in this area of money and personal finance and investing. And um, so CPA Canada, which is the governing body of CPAs, they did research and they found that parents were really struggling with this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their mission is to protect the public interest and people trust CPAs. And so they decided they wanted to create a resource to help parents. And they approached me. I was volunteering for the, for the organization in a different capacity. Um, I was chairing the Women's Leadership Council, which was oh, cool. a council that we created to yeah. uh, help women CPAs advance into positions of leadership. Love it. And yeah, that was a really amazing experience just to give them like tools and resources and just investigate like why it wasn't happening. Anyway, so through, through my work with that committee, which was volunteer, they knew I was involved in financial literacy. I had been doing some work with the Ontario Securities Commission. So they approached me and they said, would you be interested in writing this book? And when they did, I was, I had never really thought about writing a book before. It wasn't like a bucket list thing for me, but I have I'm unusual in that I'm good with numbers because I'm an accountant, but I'm also <laughs> a good writer and I've always been good with both. I think maybe because I read a lot too. Right. So That's I was amazing. like, hmm, okay, I think I can do this. I have two kids. I had been teaching them about money. It was very natural for us and in our household. My husband's also a CPA and business mm -hmm. owner. So it was not like a taboo topic in our house. It was not something we never talked about. So I was like, hmm, okay, I'll write a book. Amazing. So that's how the original book came about. And now I've updated the book 10 years later. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. So that's yes. amazing. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the wisest investment is an update to the original book, which was called A Parent's Guide to Raising Money Smart Kids. Oh. So the, you know, I wanted you know, I, I felt the book really needed an update for two major reasons. One was because we are now in a digital cashless world, much more so than we were 10 years ago. And that's been accelerated by the pandemic. And the pandemic was the second reason because people just, it was a financial wake-up call that you need to get your financial house in order and you never know what's coming. It could be great. It could be you know, something terrible like a pandemic and you have to be prepared and you have to be, you know, you have to have the knowledge, skills and confidence to be able to react and make the right decisions. So I really felt like the book, the context of the book with, with COVID and everything just felt like it was a little out of step and it needed to, to recognize kind of the world we were suddenly in. So yes, that's how, why the wisest investment, why I felt it was uh, in need of an update. And actually yesterday was the one year anniversary of the book. So it's oh, the congratulations. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. So when, when somebody picks up this book, like if my, you know, 20 year old son took this book, what are the things that he's going to learn the most about? Or is it more focused on the parents? Like wh who is this audience? Yes, that's, that's an important question because it is really written for parents to help them with this. Because as I mentioned, the study CPA did found that 78% of parents had tried to teach their kids about money, but two thirds didn't feel they'd been very successful and more than half didn't even know what information they needed. Mm -hmm. So the book is really a guide to help parents. And the way it's structured is the first chapter is 
one for the parents themselves to help get their own financial house in order so that they can be good financial role models and lead by example. Each subsequent chapter, and there's five in total, focuses on a specific age group. So the first age group is young kids, five to eight. The second is preteens, uh, nine to 12. The, the third, third age group is teenagers, uh, 13 to 17. And then the last chapter is emerging adults, 18 and over. So what I've, what I've heard from people, and I know, is that they give it to their 20-year-old kids, to their teenage kids to read. Because, you know, mm-hmm. you just have to like, take a step back and realize like, okay, I'm actually the person that my parent is trying to teach. So rather than reading it through the lens of the parent, you're reading it through the lens of, you know, the the person who it is that we're trying to teach about money. So a lot of kids do end up reading it. Mm -hmm. And um, so really it can be used by both. And I've also heard from people that don't have kids themselves, but they have nieces or nephews. I've also heard from grandparents how useful it is for them and even from like single people who've read it and and learned a lot themselves. Yeah, I love this. I, you know, and I think it's one of those things in our generation, I'll speak about myself and my age, it wasn't something that I learned until I actually was trying to think about getting a house and, mm-hmm. you know, what's a mortgage and all of these things that nobody actually teaches you, first of all, how to save properly and all the things that you need to know. And those life lessons come so much later in life and if you were educated earlier you know what a difference that would make and even just habits you know like yeah very successful habits around money and really understanding it I think it's so powerful that's such a great message you've hit on a bunch of interesting issues there like first of all yes when we were growing up and I think we're kind of similar financial literacy it wasn't even a term let alone something that was taught in school but it is now. So that's actually a positive uh, change that's gone on is that throughout Canada in the different provinces and territories, they are teaching financial literacy in school and it's different everywhere. But in Ontario, where I live, it's been integrated into the curriculum since 2011 from grades four to 12. And now there's even specific parts of the grade 10 careers course and the grade nine math course just got updated to focus on very practical things like even mortgages, um, debt, uh, planning for post-secondary education, budgeting for life after high school. So all sorts of very practical things, you know, hopefully it's being taught well, it's going to, you know, every teacher is different, every school is different. So I still believe that and a lot of people do as well, that parents have the primary responsibility, parents and caregivers, like it really does start at home, but it is great that it's supplemented or also being taught in school now. Yeah, I love that. I think that comes back to the role modeling piece, like what you were saying. And I think, you know, you also, I mean, I want to probably dive into you a little bit more too about role modeling. And, you know, I wanted to pick up on that piece that you talked about with the women in leadership and trying to help Mm. women in and, um, and really for you, like, what do you feel as you've progressed in your career has been your greatest lesson? Or if you're talking to people about, you know, how to, you know, really move through their career, do you have any advice on those kinds of things? It's so um, topical right now. I feel like since International Women's Day last month, there's just been a lot of conferences and interesting conversations going on. I was just actually at a Women Claiming Wealth conference yesterday. Amazing. And I was on a panel about women claiming wealth at home. And we talked about 
you know, what happens if you get divorced or if your partner dies or, um, you know, if you have a will and powers of attorney and, and the importance of teaching our girls, our boys too, but our girls about money, because what I learned when I was chairing that council at CPA Canada was that women face unique barriers and challenges. Mm -hmm. um, one is a persistent wage gap. We just tend to earn less than men, mm -hmm. usually 15 to 20% less. We take more career breaks. Mm -hmm. Like we both have kids. I took mat leaves with both my kids six months for Je with Justin, my elder, my older child, and then longer, like eight months with Natalie. Yeah. Um, I had to take a break when my father passed away to deal with managing um, the estate and winding things up. Yeah. Um, I had to take a <laughs> Been there for all those things. Yeah. <laughs> right with you there. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. so women take more career breaks and as a result, our salaries or our earnings peak earlier than men mm -hmm. in our forties versus for men in their fifties, according to research. And then the final point is that women live longer. We tend to live five years longer on average. So we need money for a longer life, but there are so many factors that make it a little bit harder to, you know, to make the same, to make, you know, good living, to, to save it, to invest it. And then there's lots of studies that show that women are less financially literate than men, that women make less, uh, are less knowledgeable, less confident. Um, women tend to deal with day-to-day -day bill payments. Men tend to focus more on the investing. So some of that is just societal norms. Um, yeah, maybe women CPAs are exceptions because we're so comfortable in the financial world. Uh, so, you know, we were really focusing on, on tools to help women advance into leadership roles because some of the, some of the things that we're lacking are access to visible career role models, um, knowledge of a lot of the unwritten rules mm -hmm. that lead to promotion yeah. Um, lack of access to mentors and sponsors. Yeah. All the important yeah. things. Challenges yeah. with work-life balance, like all the things, we, you know, it's yeah. really, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And I, you know, I hope that, and I see that there's progress being made. Um, you know, just even like one of the mistakes I made was just probably not being a great negotiator. Not probably. I, I wasn't a great negotiator of salaries and promotions and raises and boundaries. And I think that's something that a lot of women struggle with because again, it, there's societal norms that make it okay for men to be aggressive, assertive, ambitious, and not so okay for women to be that way. You know, there's a negative connotation. There's a real double standard. So, yeah. and even as a self-employed person now, business owner, I, you know, it's hard to negotiate sometimes mm -hmm. to ask for what you're worth, to stand up and, but that, and we talked a lot about this yesterday at the Women Claiming Wealth Conference. So it was good to hear other women saying yeah. they struggle with that and, and to, to hear some interesting strategies for how to stand yeah. up for yourself and ask for what you're worth. I love that. And I think that, you know, what's interesting to me is that we're seeing that in all industries, right? So it doesn't matter mm -hmm. what your background is, but I would say in the financial world, I would think that would be even harder in a lot of ways because there probably, especially for you, as you were going through, weren't as many women. I mean, yeah. I think now we're seeing, we're, thank goodness, we're seeing more. Um, and I even think of the younger generation seeing more girls who are starting to go this path and not being afraid, you know, to get into yeah. this kind of role but I think you know it's it, I, I would imagine that that would have just been such a hurdle for you and you would have been certainly somebody paving the way 
Well, you know, it's interesting because my mother was a teacher. So like a very female sort of stereotypical type of job. Um, and, you know, it never occurred to me when I was choosing, you know, what I want to study at university or that I couldn't do something that wasn't, you know, like my Love father it. was a lawyer. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> they weren't it. like, my parents weren't like, oh, you can do anything. Like I've heard a lot of women say like, oh, my parents told me I could do anything. Like it wasn't like that. I mean, I was a really good student. So I had a lot of like options open to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I never thought like, oh, I can't study commerce and finance at U of T because I'm a woman at all. And I remember being there and it was very diverse. There was lots of women. There was lots of different uh, people from all different backgrounds. And and I think even the CPA profession at the time, believe it or not, I don't think it was so heavily like, I know now it's like 50-50 men and women that go into it. It's a whole different story at the leadership level. It's right. way more men. Like there's definitely that cliff or that leaky pipeline, however you want to call it. But going into it, and I think, you know, and even at the time, it wasn't like horrible. I remember like even my starting cohort at KPMG, there was a lot of great women and it wasn't so male dominated until you got to like, I mean, that was like in the first couple of years, you know, when you're like a staff accountant or a supervisor, it was pretty mixed. But then as you got to like manager, senior manager, partner, there were so few women, so few. And it was mostly white, you know, older white men, to be perfectly honest. So like not having visible role models, I never because I, I never thought, oh, you know, I want to be a partner here. It just did not seem like a path I could see myself taking. And I was right. Um, so, you know, other parts of the finance industry, like the, the trading floor, I would say there was a lot of women in sales and marketing, maybe less so in trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not that many in senior management roles either. Um, and then, you know, financial advisors is still quite male dominated although yesterday again I hear that there's a lot more women becoming advisors which I think is great yeah it's amazing I have a female one I absolutely love her yeah I love her love her she's not only was she is she a great role model but she also ensures that I'm a part of every conversation like she won't have a meeting without me like (laughs) I have to always be a part of things and she's been that way from the beginning so so what would you say like for those women that are in that profession and you know there still is that hurdle for them to get to partner what is it that you think they need to be doing mm. differently? Like what, what is that challenge for them? Some of it has to come from the organization, has to do things to eliminate like unconscious bias or try to, you know, to make salaries and promotions more fair, to provide stretch opportunities, you know, to do those really high profile projects that get you noticed and get you to that next level. I think they have to do more to make it fair and, you know, make these unwritten rules a little more clear mm-hmm. as to, you know, what does it take to get to the next level? Um, you know, we were talking yesterday, like women end up getting shafted into these like jobs of like that aren't really valued by the organization, like planning the Christmas party or like planning the birthday right. celebration, you know, like it just seems to be like women's work. So maybe like saying no to those things. And, but I think a lot of it also has to come from, you know, the women themselves and you have to be proactive about navigating your career. I think we, we think, or we're socialized to think that if we put our head down and work hard and do a good job, we'll get noticed and we'll advance, but you, 
it's, it doesn't work like that. You have to advocate for yourself. And again, mm-hmm. we have to walk this fine line between, you know, advocating for ourselves and making sure the right people know what we've accomplished. So we can advance and get promoted and get raises without making ourselves unlikable. Yeah. That double bind again. Yeah. So, you know, I, it, it's tricky. It's, it's, you know, my daughter's in the CPA profession as well. She's also studying for her CFA and I, you know, I still see her navigating some of these similar, same things. I think she's a lot better at it than I was. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, nothing, like in some ways things have improved, but in some ways it's, it's, things haven't changed that much. Um, Mm -hmm. I still think it's like, there's just these societal norms and, and barriers and challenges that women face and you really have to be aware of them. Yeah, so that you can, you know, get that sponsor or mentor or, um, you know, the training or maybe even a coach, right? right. Like maybe you need some coaching in order to like what you do yeah. in order to have executive presence or whatever it might take. Absolutely. That, right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I love everything you said. I so agree with that. And I think the other piece, too, for me is that allyship, like where in the organization are you going to get help? not just from other females, but from other males. I think yes. that part is so powerful when, you know, those males sponsor you, those males oh, are the yeah. ones, right? That, that is where they can really be helpful to eliminate some of these barriers and the boundaries and, and really help a female understand that all that stuff you said about oh, not yeah. all that. Yeah. Those things that we don't know, you know, it's not, it's an yeah. unwritten rule that we, you know, we didn't know. Right. So You're help us out. When you start work, I mean, I was so naive. I was just like, oh, you know, I graduated. I have great job offers from like, I had offers from all the big accounting firms at the time. There was like, I think the big eight or now it's down to the big four. They've all merged. I didn't even think to negotiate one against the other, negotiate my salary. Like I'm sure my male uh, counterparts did, Um, you know, just little things like that. Um, Yeah. I look back and I was just like, I just didn't know, like, no one told me. And, and the other thing I was going to mention too, was that on our women's leadership council, at first it was just women, but we ended up adding some men to it, mm-hmm. which was really amazing. They were champions of women. They had daughters in a lot of cases. They were just like decent men who I'm still in touch with. Um, mm-hmm. And it was great to get their perspective on it. And I, I also know that many of the women that were successful leaders that we profiled said that their most important sponsors were men. Yeah, there you go. I love that. That's so great. Well, um, what do you think, you know, what is it that gets you up in the morning? Like, what is really your passion? What do you think is really what makes that spark for you? I was going to joke that it's Trader Joe's pumpkin spice coffee. That's not (laughs) what you want to hear. But maybe that works too. That's okay. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. And it's seasonal. And I'm like down to my last few. Oh, so sad. Anyway, (laughs) um, well, I have to say that in uh, almost a year ago, when the book came out, a couple months later, I hired my first employee. Um, Her name's Lauren Robillard, and she is a young woman. And I feel like working with her has really, like, injected a lot of, like, freshness and enthusiasm and fun. And I'm so lucky I found her. So she's my media marketing specialist. And she's like a fairly recent graduate from university. Um, She has a degree in sociology and media studies. And she's just like, we really are so aligned. And I feel like I love developing her. And 
um, you know, exposing her to all the things that I know and all the, you know, my network and, and all the things that I've learned and the mistakes I've made. And, and then she's teaching me so much too about, you know, media and marketing and uh, just having someone to not being a solopreneur anymore. Yeah. So I look forward to working with her every day, honestly, like it's really been a great uh, addition to the whole endeavor of trying to help more, you know, more parents teach their kids about money. I love it. And I think what's so powerful about um, what you just talked about was the different generations of what she can offer you and what you yeah. offer her. And what a perfect balance. And I think more organizations need to remember that, right? How do we leverage what we all um, different generations have to offer each other? Um, and so I, I love that, right? Because that that learning is inspiring you at the same mm -hmm. time developing her is also inspiring you. So I think that's very cool. Very yeah, cool. it's yeah. been great. And I feel really lucky that you know, I found her because it's not easy to find someone that you can really like work well with. And, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I see that in my kids too, because, you know, they're, and they're around the same age. They're all, you know, Lauren, my, my media marketing person and, and my kids are all in their twenties and they just, yeah, like it's a different mindset. I mean, I guess they're Gen Z slash millennials mm -hmm. and, it's, it's a very different kind of way of thinking, way of learning. Um, I'm so, I am so impressed with, with their generation. Like I know sometimes they, they get a bad rap, but I, you know, and I, I see a lot of students and kids, you know, with the work that I do. And I'm just, I'm pretty impressed with how sophisticated this yeah. generation is. And Agreed. I would never presume that I know more. I feel like I can always learn more yeah. and I would never be ages and think like, oh, only people with more experience than me can teach me things. Like I'm learning a lot. I learn so much from my kids and from Lauren, you know, every day. Yeah. And it's I, fun I because yeah, yeah, like it's yeah. a lot of like cool stuff too and tech and yeah, it's, it's so true. And I think if you have that open-mindedness, it's only going to help us, right? And I think it helps others, right, to really learn from each other. And I, I agree. I love their confidence. I love their spark. You know, I just, I, I really mm -hmm. get a lot from working with um, that, that age group in particular, the, you know, the ones that are really just starting to come through. I and love I, it. Yeah. I have mm -hmm. a niece and a nephew too, and they're a bit younger, um, like 18 and 21-ish. And so they're a little bit of a different generation and they're both amazing too. Um, you know, they're my, my nephew studying engineering. My niece is in, only in first year, but I for sure think she'll be a doctor. Nice. She's like such a STEM kid. So yeah. it's so exciting to see, you know, again, like they're so smart. They're so like sophisticated. They're on top of things. And like, I just have so much hope and for, for this generation and, me too. And in yeah. some ways, I don't know if you feel this, in some ways I'm almost jealous because I'd like to start again because I feel <laughs> like, they, you know, there's just certain things that are in place now that if I was yeah. starting my career, I feel like, oh, maybe I would have had more opportunities or I would have gone higher. I would have done different things. Right. Whereas, you know, we were really trying to get just get through like we're just trying to survive in a lot of ways. I know. I think tech has a lot to do with it because, I mean, even the opportunities people have now they're not limited geographically right you know like when when we were coming up it was like you could only work in the office putting in FaceTime meant something different then right you yes. in the FaceTime at the office so that yes. everyone knew you were working hard especially in an accounting firm during tax season it was the worst <laughs> 
yeah. now with you know that is the only or one of the few good things that come out of this pandemic I mean, it's been so hard in so many ways but one of one of the things that's been good has been this ability to work remotely yeah the ability to reach more people like I've done so many virtual speaking engagements virtual conferences that can reach so many more people than previously when you had to do it in person now I'm not saying I'm not missing the in-person because I look forward to doing that too, mm -hmm. but it does give people different, you know, range of opportunities now Yeah, and a way to maybe spend more time with your family. I mean, I spent a lot of time commuting yeah. back Absolutely. in the old days. Yeah. And I also like the focus on results versus that FaceTime, you know, because mm -hmm. I always used to think, yes. you know, yeah, there's pe lots of people in the office for many hours, but you know what, I get more done in an hour at home than they get in five hours in the office, right? Like there's that whole, like, uh, how do we focus on the right things, outcomes, results, you know, making sure that we're really progressing versus, you know, a little of those optics that, you know, we used, that used to be so a part of at least the world that I lived in at times in my career. Yeah. And that's the way we're working now. Like Lauren, um, like I have an office. Um, I also have a home office and Lauren mostly works in our office, but on Friday she works from home. Um, I sent, I am working from home right now. Like this is my home office, but you know, sometimes we're in our other office together. Um, and you know, there's just a lot of flexibility and we just focus on our priorities and as long as the work gets done, you know, it doesn't really matter. We'd like to be together because I do find you can collaborate much more easily. I don't like yeah. having to call her up on Zoom every time I want to chat about something. Right. So sometimes yeah. it's really nice to be in the same room, but it's also nice to have that flexibility. flexibility. Yeah, I love it. So when it's all done and over, what's the legacy that you think you'll leave behind? Hopefully a generation of kids who were taught about money from their parents and yeah. who are financially literate, meaning they have that, you know, knowledge, skills, and confidence. Uh, they feel prepared to make good, sound decisions throughout their life at different life stages. As you say, you face different decisions, you know, your first mortgage, you know, your RSP, our ESP when you have kids. So all those things, hopefully they'll feel, um, you know, like they are responsible, like they have become independent from their parents and, you know, that they can achieve the things that they want to have and do in life. Because at the end of the day, that's money is just a tool yeah. to be able to have and do the things that are aligned with your values and that are yeah. important to you. So that's what I hope. Love it. That's awesome. What a great legacy that is. And I'd say you're well on the way to that for sure. That's awesome. So, so thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. I think your message is so powerful. I encourage everyone to get the book. Doesn't matter what stage you're in, it's going to be helpful for you, for your kids, with kids, out kids. I think it's a wonderful message. So thank you for that. And where is your book available? Let yes, us know I was just going to say, can I tell people where to find it? Yeah. So, um, if you go to thewisestinvestment.com, if you go there, there's a free role model self-assessment. That's one thing. So it will pop up right away. And uh, just by signing up, you can get this assessment that, you know, will help you figure out what kind of financial role model you are. There's also a link to, um, to buy the book on Amazon, whether physical or Kindle. And then I also have another website, uh, which is robintobe.com, my name. And it's spelled Robin with an I, T-A-U-B. And on there, I have another free tool, which is a values validator. So we didn't really get into this, but we sort of did at the end. It will help you discover what your values are so that you can 
um, use those as almost like an invisible framework to help guide and prioritize financial decisions and set goals that are meaningful to you. So that website also has a link to the book. It has more about my speaking engagements. Um, they will see a link to this podcast on that website as well. Great. So yeah, both the websites, robintobe.com and thewisestinvestment.com will lead you to the book. Fantastic. And we will put that on um, the the, um, the podcast when we uh, also put it out to the world. So people will okay, be able right. to get those links and, and get your book easier. So that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Robin. Thanks, um, Nancy. Really appreciate it. And thank you for everything that you're doing to really help people with this very, very important topic. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks to the listeners for listening in today. Be sure to tune in to our next um, edition of the Inspiring Me podcast. Thanks.